0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. By your mercy, good Lord, please deliver us this morning, for we know that only you can. And this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, please keep your bulletin open to the gospel reading in Matthew uh, so you can follow along and make sure what I'm saying is Trustworthy and true. Well, what expectations do you have of God? What's something that you think God should be doing in this world and that he isn't already doing? Maybe you think he's taking too long to fix the world, maybe you think he should come and punish that person who cut you off in traffic, or the people who've been doing evil or abusing or violent, or the offenders in this world. Maybe you think he owes you something that you deserve. Whenever something annoying happens to uh, our family, uh, small things like a bill coming in or a repair that's needed, you know, just run-of-the-mill things that are really annoying, uh, Rachel and I will often say to each other, why do bad things happen to bad people? (laughs) As though we, uh, we expect that we deserve more. You know, this traumatic experience that we have, we deserve better than this. We all have expectations of how life should be going for us, uh, that we should be living our best lives now. Well, all throughout the Old Testament, the people of God were given promises and prophecies about what God was doing in the world, what it would be like when he would finally come and make his appearance. In Genesis chapter 12, right back at the beginning of the Bible, he promises Abraham that he would make him into a great nation, that he would give him a land to be his own, and that he would be a great blessing to all the world. And these foundational promises are, they're built upon and developed over time so that this great nation would be God's chosen people who would be ruled by a king who would be a son of David. And this Davidic king would rule justly and wisely and he would be the Messiah, which in our passage is translated the Christ. And this Christ's Messiah would bring salvation to God's people, providing them rest from all of their enemies. In the later part of the Old Testament, when it seems like all of these promises and prophecies are failing, they're taken captive into a foreign land by foreign rulers, God promises that he would come and he would rescue them, that he would save them. He would once again establish his people in his place under his rule that they might enjoy his blessing once again and be a blessing to the whole world. And we heard some of these prophecies in our Isaiah reading. Turn back to that reading with me and look at verse 4. It says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall, be, they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is what the people are waiting for in the time of Jesus, in the time of our Matthew reading. They're waiting for God's chosen king to come. A warrior king who would come with this vengeance and this recompense to save them from the Romans. And establish the kingdom of God as a superpower once again. These are probably the expectations of John himself. So it's no wonder that John is a little confused. Look at verses two and three of with me of this Matthew reading. It's the first two verses. Now when John heard in, in sorry, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? John the Baptist, this cousin of Jesus who previously was not willing to baptize Jesus because of his unworthiness, the same John who, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This same John is now in prison and he has plenty of time on his hands to to ponder and to wonder whether Jesus really is the Messiah. Is Jesus really the one who is coming to rebuild and re-establish the kingdom of God? He'd heard all about what Jesus was doing, but it didn't really match up with what he thought the Christ would be doing. Surely the Christ would be coming to attack Rome and building an army to take on the might of the Roman Empire so that God's people might be free to live in their land once again. So John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Christ, the one who is to come? Is this it? Are you really the one we've been waiting for this whole time, or do we need to keep on waiting? I wonder if you've ever met your idols. I've heard it's never a good idea, as the picture we have in our, heart, in our heads of what our idols will look like, uh, will sound like, or will act like, very rarely matches up with reality. Reality. I don't have any funny stories because all my idols are very boring people, so it's not like, you know, theologians and academics and things like that. They're all dead as well, so that doesn't help. (laughs) Well, on hearing John's question through his disciples, Jesus answers them in verses 3 through 6. Look at verses 3 through 6. Uh, 4 through 6, my apologies. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see the blind receive their sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me jesus doesn't answer john's question directly does he this probably wasn't the answer that john was hoping for presumably these are the deeds that john had been hearing about previously so jesus isn't really telling john something that he doesn't already know But what Jesus is saying in effect is, John, don't you know the Old Testament? Because Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament prophets. We heard one of these passages in our Isaiah 35 reading. I'm going to turn back to it again. A lot of flipping, I know, but I'm sure you can cope with it. Verses 5 and 6 say, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. He also quotes Isaiah 61.1, which is not in your bulletin, so you don't need to flick to it. But it says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and a release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus isn't exactly coming with vengeance and the recompense of God. Like it says in Isaiah 35.4, he's not leading a revolution to overturn the powers of Rome. But what he is doing is something so much greater. And he clearly is God's chosen Messiah, performing the miracles that were prophesied in Scripture, fulfilling the prophecies of the Christ, the one who was to come. So in giving this answer, John, and just like you and me, we must make up our minds on the basis of the evidence of what John hears and what we read and what he sees as to whether Jesus was doing the works of the Christ or not. I wonder if if Jesus was to come to earth during our time and he was healing the sick and raising the dead and preaching to the poor, would you recognize him as God, as God's appointed saviour? Would you think he's a little weird? Maybe, maybe even that he has a few screws loose in his head? Or a few sausages short of a barbecue, as we say in Australia? <laughs> it's something to think about, you know. Would you recognize the Christ if he was to come? Well, after sending John's disciples away, Jesus speaks to the crowd Where he elevates John the Baptist, confirming that he is indeed a prophet, and in doing so, he kind of reconfirms his status as the Messiah. He adds that John was that sorry born of a woman. John the Baptist is the greatest person to have lived on this earth. And Jesus sets the crowd up for the punchline in verse 11, part B. Look at verse 11 with me again. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women. There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Even though John the Baptist is the greatest person to have ever lived, there remains an even greater honor for us. It's for those who are born again, as Jesus will say in John chapter 3, that is those who are born of the Spirit into the kingdom of heaven. Those who have been a part, who have become a part of God's family, even the least of them is greater than John the Baptist. Well, much like John the Baptist, we also have expectations of how God should be acting, of what He should be doing in this world. We want Him to act on our terms, in our timing. We often want Him to act vengefully against those who have wronged us. We want Him to hurry up and come and deal with. Uh, the sin and evil in this world and the sin and evil inside of us. We we can become so impatient with God that we cry out, Where are you, God? Jesus' answer to John is the same answer to us. Look at what I'm doing in this world. The blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf are being healed. But even more than that, the dead are being raised and the poor are hearing the good news. Far too often, We, and when I say we, I really mean me, and I'm hoping that this sticks to you as well, but far too often we become so selfish and so self-obsessed that we forget that God is doing something so much greater than we could ever imagine or predict. We're so uh, small-minded. What is God doing? Well, look again at at Jesus' answers. First, he's bringing healing to this world. The blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf are being healed. In and through Jesus Christ... God has set about the restoration and the redemption of all things. These are just a microcosm of what God is doing throughout all of creation. The brokenness of this world that was caused by our sin and rebellion, which has brought about suffering and pain and devastation all over the earth, which is the cause of all the problems we see in ourselves and in the world. God is fixing it. He has he's set about to redeem it and to restore it. He's bringing it back to its original goodness. And secondly, God is raising the dead. He's bringing life out of death. We see this a few times throughout the Gospels, the biographical accounts of Jesus' ministry. He raises his friends Lazarus from the dead, as well as Jairus' daughter and the son of a widow. But that physical work, this physical work that Jesus is doing symbolises a deeper spiritual work that God is doing in this world, through sin each and every one is spiritually dead we are dead in our sins and trespasses as Ephesians 2 says through the gospel of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection God has freed us from that death and he has given us eternal life and this good news is being proclaimed to the poor it's good news because it, mean, it means salvation for sinners and sufferers like you and me Now God has started all of this in Jesus and during this Advent season we are reminded that he is coming again to complete it and to set all things right. Now I'm guilty of often getting frustrated that God is taking too long. Come on God, you you could just kind of click your fingers and everything would be done. But in God's wisdom and in his kindness, in his grace and in his mercy, he is being patient. Because his patience means salvation salvation for those who have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ or have not yet responded to his offer of salvation. It means salvation for your son or your daughter, for your sister or your brother, for your mother or your father. This means for us here while we wait, we pray in attention that on the one hand God would come quickly to finish his work of redemption and to deal with evil. But on the other hand, we pray that God would continue to be patient. That we might have an opportunity to tell our family and our friends, our neighbours, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that they might hear the good news and be saved. So in light of those two things, let me pray in this way. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your Son and sending him to save us. That he has set us on course, the redemption and restoration of all things. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, hasten his return, that he would come quickly, that he might finish what he has started. But also, Lord, we pray that you would be patient, that your patience might, might mean salvation for those who have not yet responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.